Okay, let's start the actual Navi itself. We'll start with reading the Psukim. What we're going to do is read the Psukim, explain a little bit, and then we'll look in the way the Mepharshim explained it and try to see, again, the lessons that we're supposed to take from the, from the Navi. First puzzle begins, Vahidvar Hashem el Yona ben Amitai Lemar, and the word of Hashem came to Yona, the son of Amitai, saying over. So this Pasuk introduces us to Yona. Now the question is, who is this person Yona? <clears throat> we're told that it's Yona ben Amitai, but we're not told, in fact, who he is, any of his history. We just meet him here, and he's given the Nevoah. So the Barbanel and the other Rishonim explain, they quote the Gemara and Sukkah, that this person Yona <clears throat> was somebody who we really met long ago. <clears throat> this was the person who the <clears throat> Elio needed food, he went, Safasi went to this woman, and that woman had a child, and that child ended up dying, Elio did Trias Mason, brought that child back, that child is Yona. What I'd like to do is spend a moment reading, not just reading, but really focusing on the story as it's told in Sefer Malachim, so we could get a little bit better background as to exactly who this Yona was. So, let's focus on those events as brought in the Gemara and Sanhedrin, Gemara explains to us that the Klai Yisrael was sinning. This was a point in our history when the Jewish nation were not listening to the Nevi'im. Hashem sent Novi after Novi to bring the Jewish people back to Tshuva, but they didn't listen. The Jewish people were involved in all types of Avarazara, all types of evil. The kings themselves were involved in it, and things were looking bad. Generation after generation this was continuing, until finally Hashem sent Elio Novi. Leon Novi tries to bring back the Klaisvel. He tells them to do tshuva. They don't listen. He tries again. <coughs> he tries again. Finally, in desperation, Eliyahu turns to Hashem and asks him for the keys to reign. Now, the Gemara tells us that there, there are three areas that Hashem himself controls. There are some areas that Hashem will give over the control of those things to other forces, whether it be Sarim, Malachim, certain celestial, cerebral beings, sort of Malachim. But there's some things that Hashem Himself only will always take care of. <coughs> the three keys, the three areas that Hashem will not give over to other control are the keys to birth, who will be born, and the keys to reign, which really is sustenance, michia, and the keys to death or trias amesim. Eliel was asking Hashem for the key to reign, and Hashem gave it to him. At which point Eliel made a decree, there shall be no more rainfall. And from that moment on, it did not rain in Eretz Yisrael. And a famine began. Now when the king found out, Eliyahu had to go into hiding. He went to the creek, and each day he was fed. The ravens would bring him food, and he stayed there for a while. Now Rashi explains that if it could be, Hashem was bothered, because the famine had begun, and the Klai Yisrael was suffering. They weren't close to they weren't getting the message, but they were suffering, and Hashem felt badly. Hashem wanted to end this this famine, Hashem wanted it to rain, but Elio had the key to the rain. <coughs> so explains Rashi and Gemara, and Rashi and Novi also echoes this concept, that the rest of the events that were to unfold were done specifically so that Hashem could rest back, bring, take back the key of rain from Elio. At that point, the creek that Elio was drinking from each day dried up, and Hashem comes to Elio and says, go Sarfasa, there'll be a woman there, and Almana, she will feed you. Eliel goes there, he finds this woman, and he asks her for something to, to eat. She says she's so poor she can barely, barely feed herself. She chops wood, 
for some sub- substance she barely can feed herself and a her child. Eliel says, give me from what you have to eat. And the woman gives Eliel from it. And Eliel says, I promise you that if you'll give me this, you'll have more than enough to eat. And in fact, the woman does it. And miraculously, the little bit of food that she has lasts and lasts and lasts. She and her son are able to live. Eliel stayed there approximately a year. At some point and during that time, the son of this woman, a young boy, dies. And this woman has a complaint against Elio Anovi. She, apparently, the way Rashi explains it, she was a very, very righteous woman. And she understood that her merit would have protected her son. There's no question she knew that her son would be alive because of her merit. But because Elio Anovi was here, her merit paled in comparison. And because of that, she was not able to protect her son. At which point she turns to Eliel with a taina. It's because of you that my son died. <clears throat> is this the way you pay back good? <clears throat> is this the way you pay back someone who's helped you? And if it could be, it was a chil Hashem. Eliel felt it was a chil Hashem in the sense that here he was a novi Hashem, he was representing Hashem, and through him came a bad. So he turned to Hashem and said, please, can I have the key to Trias Amesim? At which point Hashem said, listen, <clears throat> there are only three keys I keep. If I'm going to give my servant two and I keep one, it's not right. You have to give back the key to rain. Eliel, because he was under duress, because he felt there was a Chil Hashem, had to give back the key to rain so he could get the key of Tzchiyas Mesim. at which point Eliel did Tzchiyas Mesim on this boy. Now, we spent time in Shmuz number 209, whatever generation, dealing with why Hashem couldn't just say to Eliel Novi, I'm Hashem, just give me back the key. And that's because when Hashem gives a power to man, Hashem gives him. Meaning to say, when Hashem created Odom Arishon, Hashem put him into a position of power. You are the center of creation, you are the reason for creation. <clears throat> Pay attention, Hashem says to Odom Arishon, not to destroy my world. When Odom Arishon sinned, he literally destroyed the world. Because Hashem gave the keys of creation to Odom. He gave him the power, gave him control, and that's the man's destiny. He's put into a position of extraordinary responsibility. He's able to climb to the heights. But on the other side of it, if he fails, he literally destroys himself and the world because Hashem created the world for the purpose of man. The world serves man. And when man fails, he doesn't just fail himself and doesn't, doesn't just ruin his own neshama. He ruins the world itself. When Hashem gave the keys to Eliel, what he was doing was he was giving some element of control to Eliel. Meaning to say, Eliel was given some element of control over this world and that control was given to him, and if it could be, to allow for Bechir, Hashem would not pull it back. The only way Hashem could get it back is with this whole ruse, this woman's child's going to die, you're going to need the key to Tchiyas Mesim, at which point we'll exchange keys, but it's illustrative of when Hashem puts man into a position of power, the control that man is given is actually frightening and inspiring. But whatever the case, that child who would live through Tchiyas Mesim, his name was Yonah. And that Yonah is the person who we're going to be reading about in this Novi. And that's Yonah ben Amitai. Hazal tell us he, his father's name wasn't Amitai, but that Amitai actually referred to either the fact that he was the son who was brought up by Eliel, or Amitai because every word that he said was true. The point being, though, that he was, became a student of Eliel. He became a ben Novi. He became a one who learned the process of Nevius through Eliyahu, he became a Talmud of his. After Eliyahu left, then he became a Talmud of Elisha. We're introduced to him as Yonah ben Amitai, 
that this person is a very great individual, a person who reached tremendous levels, a person who is literally a Dovik Bashem. Pazak Beid continues, Hashem says to him, Kum lech el ha'ir ha'gedola. Go to the large city, the great city. Get up and go to the great city. Ninveh ukara eleha and call to it. Ki also ra'asam lefanai. Because their evil, their iniquity has risen in front of me. Now, it's interesting here. Hashem tells this Novi, go up, stand up and go to Ninveh, the large city. Call to them. Because also ra'asam lefanai. Their evil has come in front of me. And basically, Yonah is being told that Ninveh is to be destroyed. Also, Rasam the Al Sheikh explains the the Pasuk says their evil has risen up to me. He explains because each action that a person does creates a malach. Each action that a person does, and certainly the city does, <coughs> creates certain spiritual forces. Those spiritual forces came up in front of Hashem, and if it could be, they went well beyond the limit. They went well beyond the limit, and at that point Hashem said, I have to destroy Ninveh. And the reason why Hashem sent Yonah was to be the Navi, to be the prophet, to tell Ninveh that if you don't do tshuva, Hashem is going to destroy the city. Hashem wanted Ninveh to do tshuva, and that's in fact why Hashem sent him to do tshuva. Now, you would imagine that a Navi Hashem, one who understands the goodness of Hashem, the kindliness of Hashem, one who's dovek to Hashem, one who follows Hashem's every commandment, would be willing and happy and joy, joyous, joyful, and to go fulfill the commands of Hashem. And yet in the very next Pasuk, we're going to find out that not only didn't Yonah go, he runs away. He runs away, and the question is, why? Why did Yonah not want to give this nevuah? So the Rishonim, the Eben Ezra, the Radak, the Bravanel, all explain that Yonah understood that something was going on here. You see, Hashem sends Nevi'im to the Jewish people. The, the Jewish people have a unique, specific destiny and have a unique relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem does not send Nevi'im to the Gentile nations. It's only to the Jews because the Jewish people are Hashem's Amanivchar, Hashem's chosen people, and Hashem never sends a Novi to the Goyim. Yet, this time, Hashem was sending a Novi to a Gentile nation. And if you look, the Radak says, we won't find any other place where Hashem sends a Novi to tell a Gentile nation to do tshuva. And when Yonah understood that he was being sent to tell a non-Jewish nation to do tshuva, he asked the question, why? Why is Hashem sending me? Why does Hashem want this city to do tshuva. Why is Hashem so concerned? And the Rishonim explained to us, that this city, Ninveh, was the capital city of Ashur. Yonah understood with Ruach HaKodesh that Ashur was to be the makas mardas, the whip, to hit the Klyasrol. Basically, it was clear that the Jewish nation were going to be sent into exile. Ashur, this nation, was to be a major participant in sending the Jewish nation into exile. The problem was that Ninveh, the capital city, had sinned to such a great extent that the Midas Haddin, the attribute of justice, demanded that they be destroyed. And if it could be, Hashem had a problem, Kaviachal. He wanted to use Ninveh, he wanted to use Ashur, that nation, as the whip to exile the Jewish nation, to be a part of that plot. 
The problem was they sinned so egregiously that they deserved to be destroyed. According to the Midas Adin, according to the attribute of, of justice, Hashem had to destroy them. But if He destroyed them, they wouldn't be around to be used to be part of the exiling of the Jewish nation. Therefore, Hashem was sending a Novi, not for the Gentile nations, because Hashem doesn't send Nevi'im for the Gentile nations. Hashem was sending them to get them to do tshuva so they could be the whip to be the ones to actually send the Jewish nation into exile. When Yonah understood that, as the Abba explains, he said as follows, Hashem, you have a cheshben. Hashem, you have a reason why. And everything that you do is just and fine, but count me out. I don't want to be a part of it. I can't be a part of the hurting of my nation. I can't be a part of the damage. I can't be a part of the destruction. Hashem, you do as you want. You run the world, but count me out of it. And amazingly, not only wasn't Yonah a one running from Hashem, quite the opposite. The Abominel explains one of the reasons why this Navi was included in the Nevi'im was to teach us Tokif Chasiduso, the strength of the righteousness of Yonah. One of the great lessons we're supposed to learn is how great a human being can become, how great a Jew can become. And you see, what Yonah was doing was he was risking tremendous, tremendous damage to himself. He knew in the end, obviously, that Hashem is going to do exactly what Hashem wants. He knew in the end, unfortunately, the Klaisal were going to be exiled. And he probably even knew that most likely Hashem would find another way to get Ashur and Ninveh to do tshuva. And he said to Hashem, I know what you're doing is just. I know what you're doing is right, but I cannot be a part of the damaging of my nation. I can't be a part of this. It means bloodshed, it means torture, it means the hurting of my nation. Even if you know that it's right, Hashem, even if you know that it's correct, and I know that you know and it's 100% right, I can't be a part of it. And he would not go to Ninveh because he didn't want to be a part of this what he considered this damaging and this calamity to his people. And again, as the Abarbanel says, we see the tokef chasiduso, the strength, the tremendous strength of his righteousness. And as we learn through the Pesukim a little bit more, we're going to see even greater illustrations of that, because we're going to see what in fact Yonah was willing to give up so that he shouldn't have to become a part of doing bad to his nation. Pesuk Gimel says, V'yakam Yonah livroach tershisha, Yonah got up, but not as Hashem said to go to Nineveh, quite the opposite. Yonah got up to run to Tarshish, to a city, we'll call it a city off on the, through the, to go through the ocean. Lifnei Hashem, from in front of Hashem. Vayered Yafo, he went down to the port city of Yafo. Vayimatze Ania, he found a, a boat. Ba'at Tarshish, coming Tarshish. Vayitein Schara, he gave the money for that boat. Vayered Ba, he went down onto it. Lavo imayim Tarshisha to go with them to Tarshish milfnei Hashem from in front of Hashem. Now the Eben Ezra makes a very interesting observation in the pasuk. The pasuk doesn't say that Yonah ran away from Hashem. Nowhere do you see that Yonah ran from Hashem. Normally, when you read the pesukim, normally you assume Yonah. I don't know who didn't really believe in Hashem. He tried to run away from Hashem or whatever. Says the Eben Ezra that read the pasuk very carefully. It doesn't say he ran from Hashem milfnei from in front of Hashem. Explains Evan Ezra and the other Shonim concur that what Yonah was trying to do really was quite simple. Typically, Hashem is only Shoresh Hina in Eretz Yisrael. Normally, at a certain point, from a certain point in history on, Hashem only gave Nevuah in Eretz Yisrael. Yonah was a Novi and he knew the rules of Nevias. The rules are that Hashem will only speak to him 
if he's in Eretz Yisrael. Yonah attempted to leave Eretz Yisrael to escape quickly so that Hashem could not give him the nevuah. You see, all that Hashem said to him up to now was that also that the evil of Nineveh has come in front of me, meaning they need to be destroyed. But Yonah was not yet given a specific task. Hashem was telling him, I want you to be the Novi, I want you to go there, and when you're there, I'm going to tell you the words to say to them. But Yonah was not yet given that Nevius. He was not given the Nevua yet, and therefore, at this point, he had the option to escape and not receive the Nevua. The halacha is, if a Novi is given a specific commandment, if a Novi is given an image, <coughs> Hashem appears to him and gives him a message, he's not allowed to cover it up. He's chay misa, also if a person covers up or doesn't disclose the nevuah, he's chayiv misa for it. But Yonah was not yet given that nevuah. <clears throat> All Yonah was told was that Ninveh will be destroyed, but he wasn't yet told which words to say, <clears throat> what to do. So Yonah's attempt was to get out of Eretzrol immediately, get out quickly. He goes to Yaffa, which is the closest port city, and he looks for a boat to go to Tarshisha, <clears throat> and in fact, Vayitain Schara. Now, Rashi makes an observation. He gave the money for the boat. It didn't say he paid his passage, he paid for the boat. Either he paid for all the passengers on the boat, or he literally paid for the entire boat. The Gemara says from here we see that Nevi'im were wealthy, but he paid a tremendous amount of money. The Babanel explains one of the reasons why he paid a tremendous amount of money was actually there are two reasons. Reason one is he wanted the boat to leave right away. He didn't want to delay. Normally the boat would fill up with other passengers. He wanted to leave right away. He didn't want to wait for the chance that maybe Hashem would come to him in Nevoah. And explains the Babanel's second reason, and that is he knew he likely would die. He knew that likely Hashem would kill him at sea, and he didn't want innocent people to be taken along. He paid the full passage for the boat so that the boat should leave effectively as empty as possible so that other people shouldn't go with him because he assumed that he likely was going to not make it out of here. And as a matter of fact, the Medrash tells us that Rabbi Yochanan says that he was nisave, he desired death. He went to the Yam to die. He didn't just run away from in front of Hashem. He went to the Yam to die. In fact, he desired death because he assumed that somehow Hashem would force him into it. Hashem would somehow bring him back. And he so much did not want to be a part of the hurting of his nation that he literally ran to Tarshish, get out to the ocean to die. And this was his level of dedication to the cause of not hurting his people. The next Pasuk says, Hashem Hashem brought a powerful wind to the sea, and it was a tempest, tremendous undoing in the sea. And the boat thought to break. Now, there are a few redundancies in this Pasuk. The first is that it says Hashem brought a powerful wind to the ocean and there was a tempest. Now, simply, the Pasuk could have told us that there was a tremendous hurricane, typhoon, some huge waves crashing. But the Pasuk says two things. One is Hashem brought a powerful wind and there was this huge waves, this tempest happening. <clears throat> explains the Rishonim that actually was happening was two things. <clears throat> One is this boat was being rocked back and forth, huge breakers, huge waves, <clears throat> smashing it back and forth <clears throat> to the extent that Hishavalishav, it looked like it was going to break. But additionally, there was a wind. You see, the first thing that the sailors tried to do was to take this boat back to port. <clears throat> port is usually protected, 
in the port area there isn't as much exposure to the wind but astonishingly not only was there a huge tempest where there was there were tremendous <coughs> up and down <coughs> waves coming crashing but additionally there was a specific wind coming from the shore blowing them out back into that area so that every time they tried to navigate out of it they were blown back into it but even more telling and Pirkei de Rebeleza makes an interesting observation. What does it mean, Vahaniyachi shovel he shover? Literally, that means the boat thought to break. And you see, what actually was happening, the Pirkei de Rebeleza explains to us, is that these sailors saw something amazing. Their boat looked like it was going to break apart because in their immediate vicinity, there was a tremendous rush of waves crashing, smashing, but they saw very close proximity other boats passing peacefully. Boats to the left, boats to the right, passing as if it was a regular sunny day. Exactly in their region, exactly where they are, there's this tremendous undoing of the ocean raging, and within a very short proximity, all the other boats are passing easily. So obviously what they tried to do was get out of this area. But every time they tried to get out of this area, a wind would come and blow them right back dead center to where they were. And the malachim, these sailors, understood very quickly that something's going on here. The next pasuk says, "Vayira malachim." The malachim, the sailors, were filled with fear. Vayizaku ish elalohav. Each of them cried out to their gods. Vayitilu esakelim. They threw overboard the vessels ashebaniya that were in the boat elayam to the sea lahakiyom elayam to make the boat lighter. Vayona yard elyarkas yasina. Yona went down to the innards of the boat, Vayishkav, he lies down, Vayeradam, and he goes to sleep. Now, these Malachim saw something that was very, very frightening. And what did they do? They did two things. First, they called out to their gods, then they lightened the boat. Now, it's interesting to note the order of events there. What's happening there is that these people were very different than people that we know today. The Rambam, in Hilchos Ovaris Kachavim, explains to us that life used to be very different than it is today. Today, we are very sophisticated in terms of scientific knowledge, technological (coughs) understanding. We understand parts of the physical world that the ancient man never could understand. But on the flip side of that, there are parts of the world that we are clueless to. (coughs) Explains the Rambam in Hilchos of Chavim that all of Adazara, all idol worship, actually began from a very deep understanding. You see, in the time of Enosh, every human being saw Hashem. They knew that Hashem created the world, knew that Hashem ran the world. It was obvious, it was clear. They could feel the manifestation of Hashem's presence. Every thinking human being knew that Hashem existed. The way idol worship came into being is because they also understood that Hashem doesn't directly run every part of this world. There are certain parts that Hashem gives over to different forces, to Malachim, to... (coughs) what we call angels, and different spiritual forces. And what these people saw was that everything physical in existence has a spiritual counterpart. A rock has a spiritual counterpart. A flower has a spiritual counterpart. A tree grows because there's a spiritual counterpart telling the physical tree to grow. Everything physical has a spiritual counterpart to it, and the spiritual counterpart is larger, more dominant, and is actually the force that keeps that physical counterpart of it in existence. Sometimes Hashem gives these different spiritual counterpart forces. 
when we say often, if you listen in the davening, we say that the sun and the moon sing Shirat Hashem. And Shabbos davening, and listen to pay attention to the words of Kel Odon, you'll see that we say that they're Sosim Hesmechim Beseisam, Sosim Bevoam, the sun, the moon, when they come out and when they go back, they're happy, they're joyful. In various places, we're told that the moon was jealous, the moon had a complaint, the sun answered back. What that refers to is not the physical moon, not the hard rock, not the meteor craters. What that refers to is the spiritual counterpart of the moon. And the physical part of the moon is kept in existence by the spiritual counterpart. Hashem created rules that the spiritual counterpart should bring it out and back at certain points. And the sun has a spiritual counterpart and Hashem gave it certain rules. But that force, that spiritual counterpart of the sun, has certain shlita, has control over certain things. In the generation of Enosh, apparently people began making a mistake. They assumed that when Hashem gave over power to these things, that Hashem literally gave over power and relinquished control. It wasn't, I guess, either proper for Hashem to remain involved in every little facet, every little detail. Hashem sort of outsourced it. And because of that, and because of the recognition that these other spiritual entities had control, they began serving them. And what they were doing actually was quite sophisticated and quite advanced. What they were doing was trying to get these spiritual parts to aid them, to help them, to move in different ways to meet their needs. Now, regardless whether we focus on this or not, the point being, in their world, they understood that there were tremendous spiritual forces, and when these Malachim saw something very, very unusual happening, they were very clued into what's going on. Immediately, they turned to their gods. They assumed that their gods were controlling this or had the ability to save them, and Rashi explains to us that there were 70 different nations represented on that boat, and each of them served their own god. So they had a full polythory of 70 different avatazaras, and the first thing they did was not lighten the boat. <clears throat> the first thing they did was they turned to their gods, asking them to save them, to help them, and only when that failed, then they tried step two, <clears throat> let's lighten the boat, throw the vessels off, make the boat lighter, because only when they saw that their gods didn't answer them did they then turn to the physical world to try to lighten the load. Now then the Pasuk tells us that Yonah is nowhere to be found. Yonah goes down to the Yarkasei Asfina, to the innards of the boat, and by Yishkav he lies down and he goes to sleep. The Babanel explains to us why Yonah left the deck. Yonah assumed at this point that the boat was going to go down. Yonah assumed that Hashem was going to bring the boat down, and he said to himself as follows, if I'm on the bottom of the boat, the water's going to start from there, I'll drown first. Once I'm drowned, once I'm dead, Hashem no longer has to bring the rest of the boat down, the rest of the passengers will be saved. He went down to the Yarkaze Sina, to the depth of the boat, to die. He figured he could save the rest of the sailors thereby, and he went down, <coughs> lied down by your dame, and he fell asleep. And Pasuk Vav says, the head sailor, the head of the ship comes. The Yomalo says to Malacha Nirdam, what are you what are you doing there? You're sleeping. Kum Kralakecha, go call to your God. Maybe God will turn around, maybe God will listen, and we won't be lost. And basically, this Rabbi Chovel could not believe what he was seeing. Here was this man, while the boat is literally being torn apart, and this man is on the bottom, he's sleeping, and he's not 
doing anything. He's not not involved. Get up, he says. Kum go call to your God. Maybe your God will will turn around. Maybe in fact he'll he'll save us. ish Each man said to his friend, Let us go choose lots. And we'll know because of whom is this bad. They each pulled lots. And the goral fell on Yonah. Now two things are very interesting. All of a sudden these men are drawing lots to see who's the cause of all this trouble. One issue. And issue number two that's interesting is the Pasuk says they, they drew many lots, many many lots. And the Goral, the single lot, the single lot fell on Yonah. <coughs> Explains the Rebbe the Rishonim quoted, that actually what was happening was they understood. And there was too much unusual going on here. Our boat alone, these were calm waters. There never were storms here. There never was this type of activity. Our boat is caught in this sudden, unusual storm. All the other boats are fine and dandy. They're going... <coughs> about their businesses if nothing's happening. Every time we try to move from this small little area and the wind comes back, it was clear to them that they were destined to be destroyed. It was clear to them that someone had sinned, someone had done something wrong, and obviously God was out to get that person. So therefore they drew lots, but not one lot, many, many different lots. They weren't sure. They tried this type of lot, that type of lot, that type of different drawing of straws, different activities, every single one that they drew fell on Yonah. Despite the fact that they pulled many lots and used many different techniques and devices, every one of them came out on Yonah. The Pesach says, the Yomri Elav, they said to him, said to Yonah, please tell us, because it's obvious that it's because of you that this bad is befalling us. What is your work? Where do you come from? What is your land? And what nation do you come from? Basically, they understood that Yonah was the reason, and they understood that they were going to die because of it. Rabbeinu Yonah Shai Tshuva, Gimel Osbeis, explains that from here you see a very interesting lesson. If one man sins, an entire area can be brought down because of him. If they could give him Musr, if they could give him Tochacha, and they don't, they're considered somehow com- compliant, complicit, they're <coughs> somehow involved, and they could go down with him. And they were asking him, what, what did you do wrong? Because they wanted to find out <coughs> what was his issue, what could, how could they extract themselves from his company, how could they get <coughs> out of the situation, what did you do, <coughs> where did you come from, what nation do you come from, and <coughs> what land do you come from? Yonah says to him, I'm Jewish. And God, the God of Shemayim, I fear. Who made the Yam, the sea, and the dry land. Now, ostensibly, it doesn't seem that Yonah has answered anything. He said, I'm Jewish. They asked him, what was your sin? He said, I'm Jewish, and I fear God. And the Radak explained that he was actually answering all of their questions. And what Yonah was saying to them was, you asked me what was my malacha because you're asking what type of ramayas, what type of thievery, trickery am I involved in? I am a Jew. I trust in God. Jews are honest. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I serve God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. 
And he also explained, and further explains the Rishonim, that I am not listening to Hashem. Hashem sent me on a nevuah, and I've decided not to listen to him. I'm not <coughs> touching him. Now again, <coughs> it's an interesting aside to note that the way the Radak learns the Pasuk, when they say to him, <coughs> what is your work? What's your malacha? Meaning, are you involved in some kind of fever or trickery? His answer is, of course not. I'm Jewish. A Jew is honest. A Jew serves Hashem. Obviously, I'm not a thief. Very interesting aside to note that that is the the hallmark, the the bellwether test of whether you're Jewish. A Jew is honest. That's almost the definition. But in any case, what Yonah was saying to them was that I have been given a nevuah and I'm not listening. The, the sailors were filled with tremendous fear. What have you done? It explains in Sudas David they couldn't believe what he was saying. If you if your God created the heavens and the earth, your God runs the oceans and the dry land, and he told you to do something, how could you possibly disobey? Because the men knew that from in front of Hashem he's running away, because he told him, again as the Rishonim explained to us, he didn't just tell him that he's serving God, he said that he's a servant of God, God sent him on a particular mission, and he's not listening, he's running he's running from in front of Hashem, he doesn't want to get that nevuah, and they said to him, what are you doing? How could you possibly do that? And what are you thinking? <clears throat> they said to him, What should we do to you? And the sea will be silent from us. Because the yam, the sea, was becoming more raging, more tempest. Meaning not only wasn't going, getting less, the seas were raging further. It was getting more and more rough out there, and it's very clear that the boat would soon go down. The question to him was very very simple. <clears throat> what could we do? <clears throat> what could we possibly do to change this <clears throat> to make the yam bishosik? He said to him, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, <clears throat> and the sea will be silent from you, because I know, it's because of me that this great tempest is upon you. Yonah is saying to them, pick me up and throw me into the yam. <clears throat> and you'll see that the yam will be quiet. The Pirkei Derbeloza <clears throat> explains, and again this is brought in the Rishonim, what he was saying to them was, you don't believe me, right? You don't believe me that it's because of me? Test it. Try it. Throw me into the ocean and see what happens. And in fact, the Pirkei Derbeloza explains that what they did was, they tied a rope <clears throat> around Yonah's waist. <clears throat> and they th- slowly dropped him into the sea. <clears throat> as soon as he was in the sea up to his thighs, the tremendous waves, the breakers, the crashing stopped. There was silence. And they picked him up. And when they picked him up out of the yam, it began raging again, raging, storming, and <clears throat> the boat being tossed back and forth. <clears throat> and they lowered him again to his waist. <clears throat> when he got to his waist, again, <clears throat> the yam was silent. They picked him back up. And again, the sea begins raging, tempest sailing, <coughs> smashing the boat back and forth. And they, they lowered him a, a third time. This time, he, they had to get further beyond his waist. When they got up to his neck, again, the yam stopped. They took him out, and they said, what can we do? He said, you have no choice. Pick me up and throw me into the yam. At which point, the passage says, <coughs> and the sailors, the men, turned to try to return to the sea. They didn't want to throw him in. <coughs> they could not because the yam was becoming more and more raging against them. 
the Yikruel Hashem, the sailors called out to Hashem, Vayomru, Anna Hashem, please Hashem, Alna Navoda Benefesh Ishazeh, please do not allow us to be lost because of the Nefesh of this person, and Altiten Aleno Dam Naki, do not place upon us Dam Naki, don't put innocent blood on our hands. Kiata Hashem, you are Hashem, Keshechafatzta Sisa, as you desire, so do you do. What these people were saying was something fundamental. And something very, very <coughs> compelling. <coughs> the Rambam in Hilfos Chuv explains <coughs> that many, many Rishoyim saw <coughs> that Hashem was allowing them to be, be matzliach, that Hashem was allowing them to destroy the Jewish people. And <coughs> starting with Paro, <coughs> many of them had the following claim. <coughs> the Ramban in Chumash explains that Paro turns to Hashem and says, Look, Hashem, you promised Avram that his children would be slaves in Mitzrayim. All I'm doing is your will. How could you then punish me for that which I'm doing when clearly you want it to be? The Ramban Chumash explains, and really the Rambam, excuse me, Hilchus Tshuva, Vav explains even further that Hashem says, You're right. I decreed that such and such should happen, but I didn't decree which human being should be the one to carry it out. I decreed that the Jewish nation should be enslaved. I didn't decree that you should be the one to do it. When Hashem decrees that a certain bad should happen, Hashem then leaves free will and allows different people to, the, the option, so to speak, to be the ones to carry it out. If they carry it out, then they had full free will and they're considered responsible. Even though obviously Hashem wanted it to be, even though Hashem planned it, even though Hashem set that person up on it to allow for free will, Hashem allows that person to be the one to choose, and if they do that, they are punished. We spent a lot of time in Shmuz number 202, Outcomes and Intention, and defining this concept, that to allow for both free will and reward and punishment, Hashem allows some people to pull the trigger on the gun. No human being can change another human being's destiny. No human being can shorten a person's life. No human being can lengthen it. But Hashem, it could be when Hashem decides that a certain person's fate should be, let's say, death, for argument's sake, Hashem will also allow certain people to be the ones to be their killer, to be the one to pull the trigger on the gun. Now, had they not pulled the trigger on the gun, that person would have died anyway, they would have been hit by a tree, hit by a lightning bolt, their time was up. But if you chose to be the one to pull the trigger on the gun, for all intents and purposes, you are that person's murderer. Even though it was destined to happen already, even though without you would have happened, but to allow for both free will and reward and punishment, Hashem will allow you to be on the scene to pull the trigger on the gun. And that's exactly what Hashem answers to all the wicked people. You are correct. Hashem decided long ago that the Jewish nation should go through a long and difficult odyssey. There was to be much pain, enslavement, and torture in that process. But Hashem did not choose any particular nation or any particular individual to be the one to do it. You chose to be the one to enslave the Jews. You chose to be the one to injure them, you are held accountable, you are held responsible. What these sailors were saying to Hashem was, it's obvious that you want this person dead. We get the picture. The sudden raging right over here, the rest of the boat sailing evenly, the wind that keeps blowing us back, and we drop this man in, we pull him up, every time we put him in, the the ocean stops. He tells us, He tells us openly that he's the reason. Because of me, it's obvious and it's clear, Hashem, that you want this person dead. But Hashem, don't put innocent blood on our hands. We don't want to do it. We don't want to be the ones to kill him. Hashem, do as you wish. 
in the end they recognized that they had to do it it was for themselves Pikoch Nefesh he was Chai Misa and it's debated Sefer Haredim explains that basically what they do was appropriate and correct in any case they used this Yonah they picked up Yonah they threw him into the sea and the ocean stopped from its anger the Rishonim explained that it stopped immediately instantly <clears throat> no sooner did they throw Yonah into the sea than a sudden hush from huge, <clears throat> powerful breakers about to smash the boat <clears throat> to sudden, absolute calm. And additionally, <clears throat> Rishonim explained to us <clears throat> that they saw another thing. They saw immediately that Yonah didn't drown. Yonah didn't go to the bottom. <clears throat> they saw this huge fish open its mouth and swallow Yonah up. <clears throat> At which point, Vayiru Anoshim Yira Gedola and the men were filled with a tremendous fear. As Hashem, they feared Hashem. And they recognized that exactly that which Jonah said was true. Hashem was the creator of the heavens and the earth. And Hashem who created the oceans and the dry land <coughs> runs the world. And they were filled with a tremendous fear of Hashem. <coughs> they brought karbonus, they brought sacrifice to Hashem. <coughs> and they made vows. And the Rishonim explained, the Radak brings us down, and it's, it's actually to Medrash, to Gemara, that at this point, these Malachim, these sailors got it. They saw that Hashem created the world, they saw that Hashem runs the world, they went right back to Yafo, and sailed right back there, and were Magaya. But not only did they, not only did they themselves convert to Judaism, they made Nadorim, they made vows that their wives, their children, everyone in their family would do as such, and in fact, these people became Gerim and their families, and they became tremendously God-fearing. And at this point, we'll stop this parak, and a little bit later on, we'll come back to focus on a number of points that we touched on, but really require much more understanding.